All right, we are um, we are going to go ahead and get started this evening. Um, I am thankful for those of you who have wanted to be here tonight and to learn more about some of the things that you've been hearing about that we've talked about on Sunday that you have seen a video or two about. Um, these are some exciting days in the life of our church. Um, these are exciting days, I think, for a number of reasons. They're exciting days. We're growing, but the kind of growth that really excites me is I think we're growing with a lot of depth. Um, we had 52 covenant groups going through our Linton study, and I just found out all but five of them are going to continue on uh, after Lent. We have over 250 people who are going to continue on in this process, and we're going to be signing more folks up uh, in the fall of next year. There's just a lot of traction that I feel like we're, we're, we're gaining right now. And we think that that's not coming to an end. We think that we're on the front end of this and that we're going to continue to move forward in some exciting ways in the days to come. Some of that I'm going to get to share in a little bit more detail tonight. And then we're going to leave some time for some questions uh, at the end of our, of our presentation tonight. But I am thankful that you can be here to learn more about this uh, Opening Doors campaign. You will notice if you, and I assume most of you go to church here, uh, I have notes tonight. Notes are very uncomfortable for me to have, but there's enough stuff here that midweek I couldn't get this in my brain. So I'm going to have to do the awkward thing I haven't done much in the last eight years of like going back to a podium and making sure I know where I am. So uh, forgive me if I if it gets a little halting at times tonight. But I want to make sure that what I'm saying to you is, is accurate and right and represents some of the exciting things that I think the session has done and is doing uh, here at Covenant. Okay? Let's start with a prayer. So please pray with me. Lord, we ask that tonight you would be with us, that you would open our minds and our hearts to what it is that you want to say to us. And we look forward to experiencing that together here as your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, as you all know, we are in the midst of a capital campaign. It's a capital campaign that has been going on for some time in a quiet phase. This was a decision made by session that um, it was time to enter into this. It was the right time. Uh, we're at the right season at Covenant uh, to, to enter into to this campaign. Uh, just so that we have a basic understanding of just some of the logistics of it before we get into the rest of the campaign. This is a campaign that is addressed towards the, roughly as we began the campaign, $6.4 million of debt remaining on this building. Uh, we have raised, uh, I got the, I was sitting with Dwayne this afternoon, we're at almost $2 million that's been pledged towards that at this time, which is a wonderful, wonderful number. And we are very grateful for the generosity of those who have given us uh, a great first step in this. Who have, um, we also have most of, uh, just a little bit over 900,000 of the remaining million that was given as a lead gift to match. So uh, for the next about 900,000 that comes in, that money will be doubled uh, for, what, for what comes in. So there's a great opportunity. This is not going to be a long-lasting campaign. It will end at the end of May. You know, a lot of campaigns, you have a model, and it's like, well, if we can raise this much, then we can start building. The building's here, right? I mean, we don't need this to go on for a year. 
Um, we're gonna, we're, we're, we want you to hear about this. We want you to be excited about where we're going. Uh, we hope that you'll give, and we hope that many at this church will give and give generously, as, as so many already have. And then it'll come to an end, and, and we will continue forward in the work some of which we'll be talking about tonight. So, um, so that will be taking us through the end of May. So it's going to be a, a kind of quick strike campaign is how we've thought about it. Uh, let me uh, bring up a, a, a few slides. What I want to do tonight is, in my understanding of what Session has done, give you three reasons why I believe and why I believe Session has acted and said, this is a good campaign and the right time for us to enter into it. I think there's three separate things that we think are important and motivating uh, in this. The first is this, and it's just the numbers, but the numbers are really important. They're really, really important. We think that if nothing else, working to eradicate or to lessen the $6.4 million of debt in and of itself is a great reason to hold a campaign. As you've heard before, as the campaign began, we're paying $50,000 a month from our operating budget to Frost Bank. We're paying about $600,000 a year from our, our operating budget to Frost Bank. Now, some of you may work at Frost Bank. Frost Bank has been wonderful to us. They have been very good. They've been nice in terms of their dealing with us. We're grateful for Frost Bank. This is nothing negative against Frost Bank, but we would love to not be giving that money to Frost Bank. Uh, every year. To put that in perspective, $600,000 a year operating budget. In 2014, the average overall budget for a Presbyterian church in this country was $240,000. So we are more than double, almost triple, in our debt service payment what the average church budget overall is in 2014. So this is a big number. This is, in a sense, at some level, operating with one arm kind of tied behind our back. So we think that's a good reason to do this, okay? Reason number two, the financial relief from the campaign will go towards missions. This is significant as well. This is very, very significant because the emphasis on missions at this church is historic. It is as old as this congregation is. Carl Eaton, our founding pastor, was a missionary. Uh, we have had a deep-seated root. In many of the programs that take place in this church, uh, in this building here today, that are offered to the community, it's not something that started in the last two years, or the last four years, the last five years. AA, for example, that was, that was under Carl's uh, partnership and under his leadership uh, that he partnered with people to make that happen. These are things we're proud of at this church. This is, this is not about heading in a new direction. This is about building back into who we are and the best parts of what the DNA of this congregation is. We want to be available and to have low walls, have open doors to the city of Austin uh, and beyond. This is a trend that is not just starting with this campaign in terms of uh, we want to move in a new direction. As giving at this church has gone up in the last two years, the biggest beneficiary of that has been the missions committee. Give you an example. In 2013, we gave Covenant $97,837 to missions, which is certainly nothing uh, to be ashamed of. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money that went from this congregation out into the city of Austin and into the world. That represented about 3.6% of our annual budget. Three years later, what we're budgeted for is that we are budgeted to give $330,000 to missions, which represents 9.7% of our annual budget. So saying that we want to make the life of the missions committee more complicated is not a new thing. 
Uh, this is something we've been doing for, uh, for a long time here. It is certainly something we have uh, stepped back into in the last couple of years. We're proud of that. We're proud that as the giving of this church has gone up, uh, the biggest beneficiary has not been just growing our staff or going, you know, it, money, churches, we are, we are spiritually gifted at spending money. Churches are amazingly gifted at finding ways to spend money. We're really proud of the fact that as the giving of this church has gone up, this is where so much of that money is gone. It's going outside these walls. We think that that's critical and important. And again, it steps back into who we are and who we've always been. We want to make that number even bigger. We, we, session has set a goal of what would happen. What would it look like if we loved our neighbor as ourselves when it came to finances? What if this wasn't 10%? What if it wasn't 15%? What if we actually found a way? And there are churches that do this, that give a dollar away for every dollar you spend on yourself. Who, who 50% of your giving. Now, that would be, that would be what Jim Collins calls a, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That would be pretty amazing. So we're proud of where this movement is. We think it's in line with the DNA of who Covenant is called to be and always has been. We want to go further. This campaign will be a big step in that. We think as this campaign is more and more successful, the job of the missions committee is going to get harder and harder and harder because they're going to have more and more and more to do. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing for us to do? So that's number two. That is very, very, very significant uh, here. And we see that in, and if you've seen the video of the church, you see that in how the FEB is used. Uh, I've been a part of churches, wonderful churches, whose campus is essentially protected for three hours a week. It is a large, expensive campus. We have a large and expensive campus, but those campuses are protected. They have walls around them to protect it for its own people for three hours use a week. I, I am grateful for the fact that that is not the DNA of this church. And that spoke powerfully to me in the search process a few years ago when they, were, when they went through all the different things that happened in this building, so many of which are run programs of this church, but so many of which are not. And the vision for that is, is powerful. Again, that's deep-rooted in who we are and our DNA, and that's special. We need, to, we need to claim that uniqueness and be proud of it and, and build on it. So, you know, the video that was made uh, to, to talk about this campaign talked about things like Upward Basketball, talked about Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the largest chapters seven days a week that's meeting here in this building, hundreds of people finding healing uh, here in this place. Amazing, amazing thing citizenship and ESL classes. I got to see some of the rough cuts of the video and the people they had, and there was just a, a brief clip, if you've seen the video, uh, of one of the, one of the women who's taking the citizenship and ESL class. We could have made a 10 minute video on her. It was an amazing story about she and her children and moving to this country and, 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 and the ways that the ministries that are happening here are impacting her life and her family's life as to what they can build and where they can go. It's incredible. It's incredible, and, and no one ever asked the question, well, is she going to become a member of Covenant? It's just, it's just given away. It's so unique. It's so special, um, and, and it's something that we want to be proud of, and we want to continue to build towards. So, again, the relief that comes from this is not going to primarily go to newer screens for the FEB. I mean, and again, that doesn't mean we're not going to do anything new ever again, but what I mean by that is missions is going to be the main beneficiary of this. Okay, missions is going to be the main beneficiary of this. I've got, I've got notes and a PowerPoint. This is, this is, uh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm feeling nervous, Charlie Betts. Um, so that's first. First reason we think is, is elimination of the debt is a worthy and worthwhile cause. 
just in and of itself. Number two, knowing that that relief will go towards missions is a worthy and worthwhile cause for us to give to. But number three, as we've talked about before, we want to engage in what is, a, I believe, a, a, a 21st century definition of missions. We are in a time of great change in this country. We're in a time of great change, and, and we are not here to position ourselves against it. We're not here to kind of, oh, the world's getting evil. I'm, no, no, but, but it is a time of great change. And we want to have a 21st century definition of what the mission field is. Because most of us, when we think about missions, we think about a faraway country, or we think about the amazing work that Alan and Julie Weeks do in the St. John's neighborhood, or we think about the amazing work Terry Cole does with Street Youth Ministries. And as you've seen from, from goal number two, we're not walking away from any of that. We want, to, we want to increase our giving. But the mission field is now our neighborhoods, our schools, our places of work. My first time going to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, one of the most interesting moments was they had a moment on stage where they had um, one of the great mission outposts of the, of the Presbyterian Church in this country uh, has been Korea, South Korea. South Korea, where this church has exploded, many of that, uh, the, the origins of that came from missionaries from the Presbyterian Church. So there's this historic relationship. They had some people from Korea who were at this General Assembly to... Uh, to appear on the stage, and someone had not vetted them. Someone had not, like, checked out what this was about, because what they did is they had the presenter up, up on stage, and, you know, there's lots of people there, and he says, now, what are you here to do? And this missionary from Korea said, we are here because we've been sent by the Presbyterian Church of Korea to you. And you could see the presenter's face looking at him like, no, 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 we, we send missionaries out to you, so, and he, and he was trying to go, like, maybe your English. He's like, no, no, no. So you mean we, we sent missionaries to you that you know? They're like, no, 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 no. No, you need to figure out how to talk about Jesus here in America. We're sending missionaries from the Presbyterian Church of Korea to you. America's the mission field. And, and you could see people in the audience, like, looking at each other, like, what did they say? Like, <laughs> like is, that, is that real? Is that right? But, but it is. It is. And we're seeing this in Europe as well. Now, what do we mean by this? We're going to talk about this for a second. All right. I used this statistic um, recently uh, in a sermon. Christ Together Austin, group that meets here, their leadership uh, gave a figure that I use, says that 86% of Austin is not actively involved in Christian community. Now, this is a provocative statistic. It's, it, it's meant to be a provocative st statistic. Um, I, I've heard feedback on this, and it's good. I, I, I've been so thankful for the engagement in this. I, I have been literally, and I mean this in the best ways, I've been overwhelmed by emails from people who are going, I love this. I got this idea to engage the tech community. I got this idea if we really want to think about the people in my workplace. I have loved the creativity and the energy of people who have been saying, I got this idea. If we really want to have a presence in the public square, that's now online. And if the church ever wanted to get serious about where people are talking, here's how we could have an online presence. Well, this is not my area of expertise, but I've loved the creativity of this. This is a statistic that people have asked good questions about. Christ Together Austin says that 86% of Austin is not actively involved in a, in, a, in a faith community. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be regularly involved in a faith community? I mean, you, you know, you can take a single statistic and make it mean different things, right? Um, the Barna Foundation has had uh, something that said 35% of Austin is churchless. Well, how does that compare to 86% are not actively involved? How do we define actively involved? Well, it's, it's a good question. 
right? Or I had uh, a couple of people have said to me, you know, when Jim Singleton was the pastor here, 15 years ago, he gave a statistic that thir- only 13% of Austin is Christian. So it should be bigger than 86% based on this. So here's what I want to do. I want to give some other statistics because this is not one statistic we're basing this on. This is the Christ Together people often offer this. But I want to give some other statistics here because I want to round this out a little bit in terms of what we're talking about when we say our, our context is changing. Okay. Because our denomination. In 2004, the PCUSA had 2,362,136 members and 11,019 congregations. Ten years later, in 2014, the PCUSA had 1,667,019 members and 9,829 congregations. About 60% of those congregations had 100 or fewer members, and we are in a neck-and-neck race with the Episcopalians for who has the oldest average age in our congregations. And friends, that's not one you want to be number one on. Okay, This statistic since 2014 has dropped even more dramatically. We don't have figures on it yet. Because in 2014, they gave a list of the top, the largest 10 congregations in the PCUSA. Since 2014, five of the largest 10 have either left the denomination or are in the discernment process to leave the denomination, to decide if they want to, but they're probably all going. So this number of where it is today, which we don't know yet, has dropped far more dramatically. So this is happening in our denomination, okay? It's not just here in Austin. Or take this. A Pew report shows that these trends are ecumenical and national. Uh, This is meant to be read straight down, but you'll kind of see it here. You can just kind of tilt your head with the statistics. In 2007, the 2015 Pew Report had that 23.9% of the American population affiliated, identified as Catholic, 18.1% were Protestant, and 16.1% were religiously unaffiliated. Seven years later, look at the change in seven years. 20.8% affiliated as Catholic, 14.7% affiliated as Protestant, and 22.8% are religiously unaffiliated. Seven years, religiously unaffiliated went from third on the list to it passed those who, believe, who affiliate with either being Catholic or being Protestant. That's an astounding move in seven years to happen. Our culture is changing, and it's Presbyterian, but it's bigger than that. It's ecumenical. This is happening. Or take this, if we want to keep going. These trends are generational. Research by Gabe, it's not Gabby, I may have typed that wrong, that was my bad. Gabe, G-A-B-E, Gabe Lyons, although maybe some of his closest friends call him Gabby, and we can do that too. (laughs) Research by Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinneman, Dave Kinneman ran the Barna Research Foundation uh, for many years, show that in all the time that religious research has been kept in the United States, decades and decades and decades of research, people under 45 have never had as negative a reaction to the word Christian, church and Christianity as they do today. Over half of people under 45 have a negative reaction to the word Christian, church, or Christianity, and that is way above what it's been. This is not an Austin statistic. This is national. This is growing. This is growing rapidly, and it is affecting all of us. Let's not debate the size of the wave. What does this mean? Well, some of you may have heard this before. I've heard people use this expression. Where it comes from is that uh, a number of years ago, there was a horrible disaster in Japan. It was a tsunami, an earthquake off the shores of um, 
the eastern coast of Japan, laid waste to the Fukushima uh, nuclear power plant. It was devastating. And in the days afterwards, some scientists on CNN, I didn't, I've heard about this from different folks, got into a debate about how big the wave was. You know, if you lived in Japan at that time, it really didn't matter. It was a devastating tsunami that hit. Let's not debate the size of the wave. There is every statistic, whether it's 86% of Austin is, nationally, is not actively involved in a faith community, however we define that. That might be too ambiguous in some ways. Okay, well, let's look at nationally. Let's look at our denomination. Friends, this is happening. This is happening. It doesn't need to be something that scares us. Doesn't need to be something that frightens us. Jesus is on the throne. This is an exciting time for the church and where we can go. But we also have to deal in the facts. And the facts are that our context, our society, is changing rapidly when it comes to its understanding of spirituality and religion. And we want to engage that change. We want to engage that change. Okay, I'm, I'm, I've done what I knew I shouldn't do, which is I'm away from my notes now. So, so what do we do? What is session decided? This is the third thing. First thing of why we think this is a great time to give. Number one, it's just great to eliminate debt. It's a biblical concept of the freedom that comes from that. Number two, this is going to go to missions. We're going to make the life of our missions committee so much more difficult to have to figure out where this money is going to go to bless Austin and beyond. But third, we want to ex examine what many in the seminary world and others are talking about, which is what does it mean to be a missional church? Missional church. Now, this is going to be not something that we're going to like figure out in the next three months. This is a process that we want to enter into of asking some questions. When I started at Davidson College, here's some of my liberal arts education. I remember my, my, the president, John Kuykendall, said to us at our, our freshman orientation, he said, one of the things you're going to learn at Davidson is that you're not going to be given patent answers, but you're going to learn to ask better questions. And we think over the course of a lifetime, it's better to learn to ask good questions than to memorize answers. We want to ask really good questions about what's happening in the world around us, what's happening in the church today, and what does it mean to respond faithfully. We think this is a long-term discussion. What does this word missional mean? I, I, I put this in, use this in a sermon, but it's important we understand our words when we talk about this. Missional is an adjective that describes the congregational posture and orientation of the church, that we're God's sent people, called to bear witness to his reconciling work in the world. A missional church is not a church that simply does lots of mission trips or supports lots of missionaries. A missional church is a church that has claimed its fundamental identity as a missionary community in a non-Christian culture. Now, there are some in the church that means, well, that means that we're against culture. It's negative. No, it's, it's not saying we're against it. We're not saying that, that culture's bad and there's nothing good out there. And we're the, we're the protectors of righteousness and good. It's not saying that. But it's saying that for, for what Daryl Guter, when he was with us, said. That the church in, in the history of this country has essentially been a chaplain to the culture. Well, the culture is not interested in us being chaplains to it anymore. We are the minority. And, and, and there's great freedom and opportunity in that. There's great excitement of what that looks like if we just are willing to step into it. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, one of the things I want you to hear is that when we talk about this Mission Institute, it's going to sound in a lot of ways really familiar to at least stuff that we've been doing over the last two years. What we're not doing in this is saying we've been going over here, and now all of a sudden we're going to go this way. 
What we believe is that this Mission Institute will grow on and help formalize and expand many of the things that, that we've been doing for a long time here at Covenant, but certainly we've been doing over the last two years. Daryl Guter would say that the New Testament church is a missional church. It's, what the new, it's, a, it's a witnessing, sent, countercultural movement. Well, where do we see that? Well, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me preach on this before. And guess what? You're going to hear it again. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. But what does that mean to be a missional church? Well, Acts 2, 42 through 47, the first church in history. What did they do? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, what the New Testament church did not do is they didn't sit there and say, we've got a plan to evangelize the Roman Empire. Here's going to be the four steps of how we do that. But what they did is they followed these basic principles of discipleship, and it stood out because it wasn't just the same as how everyone else did it. And in just living out their calling, people kept wanting to figure out, what is that? How do we go see? A missional church isn't just sitting there going, here's the four steps of effective evangelism, but it's asking the question of what does it mean for us to live out what it means to follow Jesus? How do we do that in this day and age? Let me give you a specific example from the New Testament church that we know from history. One of the most interesting rumors about the New Testament church, um, when you read secular records at the time, was how they were understood by pagans and some of the misunderstandings that took place. Um, one of the things that they heard about, these two rumors, okay, there were these two rumors about the church that, that they knew about. One is, is that, and this one wasn't a rumor, this was true, is that there were places in Roman cities where unwanted children could just be dropped off. Mostly girls, mostly young girls, who were not viewed the same way as boys. And it was very common in Roman cities to just have places they were just abandoned. Christians became known as people who would go and collect these children. Collect the children that were unwanted. And then there was this other rumor that Christians were groups that broke bodies and drank blood. Which may sound familiar if you've attended one of our communion services before. <laughs> and some people thought, you know where they're getting those bodies that they're breaking and the blood that they're drinking? bet it's those babies they want. My point in this is that they became known. One of the first ways that we know from history that they were seen by non-Christians was that they took up kids that no one else wanted. Babies. Why? Because they were going to evangelize them all and then take over in two generations of the Roman Empire? No. Because they cared because every single person is created in the image of God and has worth. And if that is true, then we might be the only ones in this city who think every one of these children is worth going and taking into our homes and loving and raising. But if we're the only ones to do it, this is what we believe. Why? Because we're such nice people? No. Because Jesus tells us that he gave himself for the world, which is unworthy. And if that is true, 
how could we say any child is unworthy and expendable? What an amazing way for the early New Testament church to be known in a, in a non-Christian context. We want to be asking the questions, what would it look like to live in intentional ways, not that are trying to move against the culture, but just maybe different because it's how we live. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference in that? It's not about sitting there going, how can we evangelize Austin in the next 10 years? It's about saying, how can we live with integrity in our calling? And some of that might make us appear pretty different than the world around us. Not because we're trying to be different, but because following Jesus says, this is what you do. This is what it looks like. Being missional is about discipleship and formation. One of the reasons I was so excited about John Watson coming to this position, he didn't have the same kind of experience as a lot of the other candidates. He, didn't, he had a missional sense of why people are created, what discipleship is about. It's not just about group learning for our own benefit. It's about formation so that we learn how to live as God sent people out there in the world. The first time he art- you know how we got connected with John? When Daryl Guter was here. He, he said, I've got this student, and I know you're not looking for someone young out of seminary. I know you want someone with experience, but this kid is special. You should talk to him. So the committee started talking to him. Came out of that whole missional idea of who we should be. So, what, what, so again, is this a radically new thing? No, this is what we're doing. Two examples, covenant groups. Why are covenant groups such a big idea? Why are we going to emphasize them so much? Because it's a fad? Oh, non-denominational churches have small groups, so we need to do that too to get on. No. Because in a, in a missional church, we're going to have to be sent people out there in the world. And therefore, we need to model ways that we are both co-teaching and co-learning here. We need to be equipping the saints, one of the best parts of our reform tradition, rather than just allowing the staff to do it. And so one of the things that's great about a small group is while we have a discussion guide in small groups, every single small group, none of them are led by staff people. They're all led by people that we're working and training because we think that sets the kind of culture that's more comfortable to go out as a sent person than if you hear a lecture from me, which probably isn't even all that interesting, and then you kind of receive it and then go out. Because it places more of a mantle of responsibility on on us. It's just one example. There's so many here at Covenant we've been doing for a long time. But this is why it's so important. Uh, we're We're trying to be missional. Or an Easter sermon, if you were here two weeks ago. I preached an Easter sermon that spent the first half of the sermon saying, why do we believe this? Is this credible? Do you know why? Because our average worship attendance is growing quite a lot right now. We're averaging 850, 900, 950 people per Sunday right now. Easter, we have almost 2,000 people that are here. And guess what? Most of those people are not coming in and they just all happen to be in town at Easter. I am aware of the fact. I am aware of the fact there are lots and lots and lots of people who are here, who think what we believe is a fairy tale, if they think about it at all. And so to take half of the sermon, and to not break down the Greek and the Hebrew, and the blah, 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 but to sit there and go, is this credible? Because if not, we have no business being here. This is more than pastels and good feelings and family traditions. We believe it's historic that the risen Jesus came back, and we're going to talk about why. We're going to try to teach this. We're going to be a teaching place rather than assuming everyone sort of believes the story. Well, that's a, that's a shift. You know what I mean? Now, we didn't sit there and go, here's a missional sermon. But it, it's, it's, it formed, it's forming so much of what we're doing right now. And we're seeing the fruit of this. You want to know something I'm excited about here? I don't, you can, I don't get excited very much. But we are seeing the fruit of this. I appreciate you laughing. 
Where, where's, where's seeing the fruit of this at Covenant? I don't even know where I am on my notes anymore. We're seeing the fruit of this at Covenant. Listen, I am so excited when I saw this statistic. And I didn't know this until this past Sunday. In 2015, we added 125 members. That's an amazing thing. That's, that's a wonderful thing. 125 new members in 2015. 26 were by letter of transfer, and 92 were by profession of faith and reaffirmation of faith. Friends, that's amazing. Because that means that we have got, someone do the math for me, about four times as many people who are growing who were not members of churches before coming here. That's so cool. That is so cool because that's kingdom growth, not church swapping. Do you know what I mean by that? That is, that is an amazing, I was floored when I saw that. But we're doing some stuff here that's not just kind of people going, oh, well, I used to be a member of this church, but I like the youth group over here better, or I like the children's ministry over here better. It's about saying there are people who are being engaged by something about Jesus and what's happening here who weren't involved in Christian community before. So this is, again, this is not that like all of a sudden we're going to change our colors. This is about saying we're doing this in a lot of ways. And so this is, what, this is the best way I can describe this institute. The institute will serve as a catalyst for continuing to discern how we engage our changing context as a love letter from God to the city of Austin. How do we do that? It will also invite other churches, seminaries, and Christian institutions to ask these questions along with us. An institute will allow this movement to be bigger than covenant. We want to host conversations, national conversations, on what it means to be a love letter from God wherever we live, work, and play. We think that this will help us continue to formalize and take steps that we're already taking here, that we're seeing the fruit of when we see a statistic like this. This is great fruit, guys. This, this, this is wonderful that we're seeing this. And how do we step further into this? How do we continue to say, how do we engage this city in loving and redemptive ways so that people will be drawn to, the, to what Jesus is doing? Because we think the kingdom is that beautiful. We think the kingdom is that beautiful. And we want the conversation to be bigger than just covenant. We want to be a gathering place for other churches who are struggling. We want to be a gathering place for Christians who are trying to figure this out. In, in their own genuine way. How do I live this way? So what does this mean for a CEO of a tech firm in downtown Austin or a stay-at-home parent or a retiree? We can bring in speakers. Daryl Guter has, in, has said, I would love to come back, and if y'all really get serious about this conversation, you don't have to pay me. Just, I, I'll come back. I would love to come and lead conversations regularly with government. We have faculty from Fuller that are talking to us about that right now. What if we just came and engaged in conversations of what does this look like here? We could have cohort groups to ask these questions. I had, I, had a, I had a breakfast yesterday. I had a breakfast yesterday with a guy, young guy that just joined our church, who is a COO of a tech firm. He's got 18 people that work in, his, in this company, this hot startup in Austin. He said that everybody there is 24. He goes, I don't think anybody's a Christian who's there. He said, so here's the thing. Here's the question I have. He said, I got my executive MBA. I know leadership skills. I've led companies before. I've done all this because I've never really stopped and thought, what does it mean as a follower of Jesus that I'm here? I, I, I live this kind of life where it's like there's my faith life and I kind of talk church while I'm over here and you know, when I'm with my small group and we pray. But when I go into work, I go into work mode. We're talking about this institute is a, and, and, and I think that's common, friends. I think that's common. Leslie Newbegin talks about how what we've come to in the West, in Europe and in North America, uh, Leslie Newbegin's a, an author and scholar, says that we've, we've accepted the, a, a breakdown between our private values and our public, our, our private faith and our public values. 
You believe what you want, I believe what I want, but in the public sphere, we don't talk about any of this. We have a different life out here. There's different values, and you have to be able to live in both those worlds. This institute's gonna be asking and helping, maybe forming a cohort, a learning cohort with other young tech execs here in Austin of what does it mean? And again, is it to give you the three steps to evangelize your office? No, you don't wanna know why, because that won't work. Because everyone's walls will come down as soon as you do that. But it does mean God has sent you there for a reason. So what does it mean to be a love letter from God in your office? And sometimes while we can say, oh, well, it just means I try to be really nice, we know that when you're standing for things of the kingdom like justice, like righteousness, like the things that the, that the kingdom of God is about, sometimes that's more complicated than being nice. Sometimes it, there, there's gray area in that. And we've got to figure that stuff out in community as to what that looks like. Well, that's, that's such an exciting, I mean, that was like the best part of my day yesterday. I had so many great, but to have breakfast with someone who's going, I'm, just, I'm wondering what this means. What a great opportunity for us to just go, well, that's the mission field. Let's spend a lot of time asking those questions together because we think the city of Austin will be different. You know what I mean? By, that gets me excited. Okay. So for the last few minutes, and then we're going to have a time for question and answer. We're going to move beyond my, my excitement now. Of what, is this, what does this actually look like? What, what might be some pictures? Because sometimes when you're trying to describe something, it's good to use words like we want to be a, a catalyst for these kind of, of conversations, what it means to be a love letter from God. I want to give you two examples. One is an example here at Covenant. And the second one's going to come from a video, um, which is, I'm going to kind of church geek out on you for the video for a second. The video, which you'll be showing next, is by a new member of the church named Brent Gudgel. Brent started a company, worked in Hollywood for a while. Young guy, his family just joined Covenant in our last class. And he formed this company seven years ago called Daydox. Daydox makes documentary, high-end documentary videos. We use them at Kairos in Atlanta. Churches around the country use them. They're short documentaries. We've used them here at Covenant multiple times. And I found out, and this is really bad, but I found out like when, when he joined, that Brent Gudgel had joined the church, and I was sort of like, oh my God, Brent Gudgel joined Covenant? Like, I didn't know Daydox was even in Atlanta. I mean, in Austin. And we used it when we were in Atlanta, and he's at Covenant. He just joined with he and his two little kids and his wife. So we're going to show a video that I wanted to show you anyway before I even knew Brent was now a member here. But the really cool part is that Brent's now a member here. <laughs> Telling these stories of what does it mean to be missional people. So the first is this. The first comes from, we'll turn it in a minute, uh, is a story about a ministry that's been going on here for uh, a number of months with the recent refugee crisis that's been happening globally. Now the refugee crisis is a political hot potato. It's a political hot potato, and it is admittedly a very complicated issue. It's a very complicated issue. But whether we, no matter how you vote, no matter how you think, no matter what you look at about this issue, whether it's right or wrong, and again, I'm not getting into the right or wrong, there were some people from our church who said, whether we want it to be this way or not, there are refugees from Syria and Afghanistan that in large numbers are being relocated to cities around our country. Now, we may vote one way on this issue, we may vote another way on this issue, but as Christians, we have families showing up in this city who have nothing. And it's not a question of, do we vote wishing they were here? They're here. So let's not respond as Democrats, and let's not respond as Republicans. Let's not respond if we were in favor of it or against it. Let's deal with the fact of what would Jesus want us to do when a family like the first we welcomed, who's a family from Afghanistan, who had been working for years with our troops 
as they were in Afghanistan. And when they left, this person by the Taliban became a marked person. He and his family, his wife, two young children had to flee the country, and he's the only one who speaks any English. And they showed up here with, I think it's like eight weeks stipend, and that's it. I mean, it, 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 I, don't, I don't know all the details, but it's, it's, a ti- it's an unbelievably small amount of support. And again, I'm, we're not getting into the politics of this, but people said, what would Jesus want us to do in this? Well, a number of people in our church said, we want to respond. We want to we respond because we think that, that we need to care for people. We need to care for people that are here, and we need to respond as Christians to this. And so we have welcomed, and some of the most amazing, I mean, emotional videos you'll ever see is people from our church waiting at midnight at the airport with banners and signs as these families come down the escalator who have been traveling for five, six, seven days and didn't know anyone was going to be there to welcome them. You imagine coming in from an international flight to a country you've never been to before, and you've got to somehow find your own way to your apartment complex I mean, you imagine how scary and exhausted and overwhelmed you are, and you come down, and people are there with banners cheering for you. They've furnished your apartment. They have gotten contacts in their church of how you get a cell phone, how your child gets registered and signed up for school, how you start looking for a job, how you learn to where there are English classes where you can start growing. I mean, it's an amazing, it's an emotional thing when you see it. It's powerful. Recently, a member of our church who is from Iran, who speaks Farsi, translated uh, a message, and they've given us permission to see the message here from one of these families. This is a message from one of the families writing on Facebook back to friends they had in Afghanistan. Okay? So this is an English translation of the Farsi language where they were writing back to friends in Afghanistan. Look at what they, what they said. Okay. Whoa. That would be the video. Can we go back to without the video? Because we set, we set that up. And that's the video we'll see. So this is, this is the letter from Facebook that is translated back. I'll just let you guys control it from the back. I think the battery may be going on this. Um, this is what they wrote. Because of my children's safety, they had erected on the balcony some, uh, some, the balcony was really wide, and the children were on the second floor and going between the railings, these young children. So some of the people showed up from our church and erected some safety uh, nets around so that the children couldn't get out. And this is what he wrote. Because of my children's safety, this lady, Jennifer, who's at the bottom, has purchased new fence and has come over to place over our balcony. This reminded me of a poem by Parvin Etesami. Preacher asked his son, do you know what it means to be a Muslim? To do no harm and to serve the people and worship God are the keys to a good life. Said the son, in our city there is such a Muslim with such criteria, but he calls himself a Christian. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Now, Jennifer and these people are not there to evangelize. In fact, it's very clear they can't. But they are living deliberately and loving these people, and this is what they're writing back to their friends in Afghanistan. They're engaging the nature of what are these Christians doing? What are these peculiar people that keep showing up at our place and driving us on carpools? What are these strange people doing? I'd say that's missional. That's countercultural. And imagine what the Lord's going to do in that person's life and is doing now. What an amazing thing. That's, that's what it means. It's about our discipleship. It's about our living and doing so with integrity.
Now, the video will show you now. Again, this is a story of a woman named Ludmila. And this is the story that you can see about how she lives out this, this missional life that she's called to as a retiree. So we can put that up, and then we'll have time for questions. In my lifetime, I have experienced the rule of two totalitarian regimes. One was the German Nazis, and the second was the Russian Communists. The Word of God says 366 times, do not be afraid, do not fear. So we weren't afraid. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country, the Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart. My name is Ludmila Hararova. I'm 82 years old. I have seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador. Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. Some of them have called ahead to let me know they're coming, and some just come. The ones that haven't called are usually the best ones, because I'm not prepared for them. Everything that happens depended on the Lord. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give him room to use me. The Holy Spirit likes to take control. Often I listen to myself and I'll say things I wouldn't even think about. 
There is no problem to deal with the issues people bring when they come here because the Holy Spirit is here. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and His wisdom every day. We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. So what I love about this, so many things, woman in her 80s saying that she's a representative of the kingdom of heaven, how Brent Gudgel, who made this film, he's a covenant member, by the way, I don't know if you knew that, <laughs> how Brent Gudgel found out about Ludmila was he was working on a project in Hollywood and was traveling for it and was stopped in the Czech Republic not stopping, he had like a layover there, and some people found out and found out he was a Christian, and a representative of the government said, if you want to know the story of an amazing Christian, you need to go meet Ludmila. And this person who was representing the government wasn't a believer, but knew about this lady because of this ministry that she just did out of her house, of just praying, and the ripple effects and the impact of that, and how it was known. So we have people from our own church doing things like welcoming in refugees, and we're seeing the fruit of that. We have an example of a woman in her 80s who's a widow and yet this representative of the kingdom of heaven. And none of it, none of it's driven by a church program. Do you know what I mean by that? It's about people finding their own way. And it's going to look different for you and different for you and different for you, but finding their own ways, their own calling, their own context of being a love letter from God every single day. It's about our formation and our intentionality of living and not just accepting that, well, as a good Christian, this is what you do, but really asking the questions with people of what does this look like? How do I do this? And that's what we believe this Mission Institute can be, is a gathering point, a conversation point for people all around to come together and do this. So, so friends, uh, we'll have questions now, but these three things, three things of what Session has said is really important about this time. Number one, erasing the debt is a worthy and worthwhile cause. It's a worthy thing to do this. Number two, to know that the financial relief from this is going to go to missions is a worthy and worthwhile cause. It's significant of the difference that alone can make. But the idea of building this institute, not about doing something wholly different here, but about seeing the changes going on around us and entering as we've been doing here into further to engage the city around us and then to welcome other Christians to come in and let's have this conversation together. What does it mean to be this love letter from God wherever we are? What can that look like? How do we share ideas? Like in a small group, how do we become co-teachers and co-learners? 
that this is a catalyst for our growth and our development in this area. These are three things that we hope every person in this church will consider giving to and helping make this happen. We think it's worthy and, and worthwhile, and I'm amazed by the leadership of our session that they've taken these steps. So thank you for being here tonight. We're going to have some time for questions. That's going to be the end of what I have, but, um, but we do have time for any questions you might have. There don't need to be any, um, but Derek, who does a great Vanna White, is here in the back with a, a handheld. If, uh, if there's just any questions you'd like to ask uh, before, we, before we close about any of this, you can raise your hand. Yes, well, I, I can do this one. I, I'll. Thanks, man. Sorry, I stole your thunder. Does the Institute suggest programming, or is it just a term sessions come up with for the result? Uh, does the institute suggest programming? Uh, I think I think it, it does. I mean, the idea of programming of like bringing in a Daryl Gooder for, to take a Saturday and say he's going to meet with some folks from our congregation and engage in discussion around this would be the type of programming. Uh, like I said, Fuller is a seminary that has heard about this, is uh, trying to start working. Fuller is a seminary that said, you know, every church in this country is going to have to get its mind around the fact that we need to become missional, that the, the culture is moving in a new direction. So they're experimenting with this, and they're like, man, if Covenant would be an on-the-ground place, to our, we could bring our faculty there just to have these conversations uh, of what this looks like. So yes, I think it would involve some programming as well as our own discipleship department. Like, like the example of this Texio or, uh, uh, or anybody. It doesn't have to be a Texio. I'm just using him because I, I talked to him yesterday. Of what would it mean to get six or seven people like that to say, what would it mean to, to have the attitude of Ludmila when I go to work? Like, wh what would that look like? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have the quick, easy answer for that. But what a great question. That's the, that's the biblical question. So, yeah, I think it would maybe involve some cohort learning like that, too, using our own discipleship program, but also the opportunity to bring in folks uh, to help do some leading with us. Because a lot of this is, is new territory. Yeah. Would it be possible to talk to the people at Austin Seminary and see about possibly the extending their curriculum so that there is a track for people not called to ministry as their vocation or even foreign students or whatever, but a track where all of us who interact with people in the neighborhoods where we, <laughs> where we uh, go out to eat with people, just how to talk to people and not particularly to evangelize them to covenant but to what the idea of Christ in their life is about. Yes, absolutely. I think that it would be. It would really be designed not for people living in the church world like me, but it would be really designed for uh, how do real people, uh, real people, because I'm not one of those, how do they go out and, and have these conversations? But again, it, not, not as a here's the three steps to doing this, but to find their own authentic voice of being this love letter. That what, what it might look like for Cherry Lynn Burris might be very different from me, might be very different from Bob Peterson. It's not about trying to teach a mix and stir recipe. It's about how do we ask these questions together and, and find our own way of being Ludmila that might look nothing like what she's doing or might look a lot like it. Do you know where this video of Ludmila, what it inspired? It inspired Kristen Schell who's a member of our church that started the turquoise table movement here. Kristen was greatly impacted in starting this because she saw this video of Ludmila and said, well, what would that look like in Austin, Texas? 
if I just kind of opened my home? Well, she said, well, that won't work because, you know, people live in garages, and so I'm going to go and be what she calls a front yard person. This movement, and Kristen's now speaking around the country, that's, that's a, but rather than just technology being the vehicle where those ideas are created, what if covenant became a hub for those kind of conversations, right? I mean, imagine what could happen if, if a Daydocs video of Ludmila can influence Kristen Shell and her turquoise table movement. What, what more could we do? What more could we do? Anything else? I can stay here all night talking about this. I, I love this stuff so much. Anything else? Yes. It's the first we know of. It, uh, this, this really kind of started when Daryl Guter was here last January. Daryl's a professor from Princeton, and he influenced me, influenced John Wasson. His writings influenced Jill a lot. And we asked him when we were together, like, well, who's actually doing this on the ground? And what he said was really interesting. He said, Thomas, most every church is in survival mode right now. Most, and, and the way they're trying to survive is polish up what they've done for the last 50 years and hope it starts working. He said, there's no, and he goes, now there's some people like Redeemer Prez, where Tim Keller is in New York City, that's trying to do some uh, uh, faith and vocation. How do we live this out? But he said, but to start from this ground level of not just at work, but a holistic, what is this missional love letter from God in seven days a week, 365 days a year? He said, I don't know of anybody of a congregation at the ground level that's doing this. That's why Fuller heard about this and got really interested as they said, man, we've been talking about this for a while. Most churches are in survival mode. If y'all actually want to lean into this, how could we come be a participant in that? So members from Fuller are meeting with our session uh, in next month in May to talk a little about that and to, to have some ideas about how their faculty could be coming and, and being a part of, of this conversation at Covenant. So I, you know, I don't want to sit there and go, no, because you know, one of you guys is, who's a lot smarter than me will Google this and find a church in Iowa that's doing it. So I, and I really, that's not the point. But the people I know who are involved in this don't know of something comprehensive like this, like we're talking about. And because Covenant's, number one, not in survival no, mode at all, but number two, because we're already seeing the fruit of this. I mean, the, the statistics from 2015 were really amazing of that percentage of people joining who were not actively involved in the church before joining our church. That's incredible. And so they're also saying, we'd love to kind of come and not, not say covenant has the answers, but something's happening there. We'd love to come learn as well. So that's part of it. Was there, a, yes? I was thinking that it would be possible to overlook the University of Texas Department of Relations. Listen, if the University of Texas wants to come be a part of this, Hook them, right? Like I, I, I can, I can, I can go there. I can, I can go there. Uh, we, we, I really think there's, there's not a lot of limitations to, to where this could go. Uh, I, I had someone from Austin Seminary who heard about this and contacted me. He's like, could Austin talk about? It's like, sure. I, you know, sure. I had a pastor from Austin Stone that contacted me who heard about this, who's doing his doctorate at Fuller. Could Austin Stone come participate in this? It's like. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not trying to protect this for us. You know, as, as you were saying, this isn't about making something for covenant. This is a thing that can have a, be a catalyst in the city and beyond. This is a, this is hopefully a kingdom thing. Um, and so, yeah, to, to have that, we'd love that. Yeah. Small world. Uh, the pastor of our sister church in Havana, who is a widower, 
in the next several months will be marrying a leader of the Reformed Church in the Czech Republic. Oh, wow. I would love to be able to send her a link to this video. Can that be arranged? Jack, I don't know if you're aware of this. The founder of Daydox just joined Covenant, <laughs> which is... Like, joined our church. And Why? so we, we can make that happen. It's actually it's public on their website, but I just wanted to say again they joined our church, so we would have, a, have an insight of that. But it's on the Daydocs website that they could go on and, and see that, so it's, it's public. Yes? I don't know, but it should be. Or he could make a documentary about his joining Covenant and what a great experience that was. So... There's all kinds of possibilities of what we can do here. Any last questions before we go? This is, this is, this is, God, this, this is an exciting thing. All right. All right. Well, here's what I'd say. Yes. No. Yes. Yep. And I'm glad it's bugging you because, again, that's that missional question. And, and here's what I, I think would be really cool. Like to see again, I'm, I, I, I love this stuff. It, like, but like all of our metrics of success for a church are about our internal health, right? What, what's our membership or what's our worship attendance? Or, and again, it's, I'm not saying that's insignificant. That, those are significant things. What's our giving level? It's all significant. But what would it mean to find some metrics for how Austin's different because we're here? Now, I've, heard, I've, I've had that conversation with a couple of people. I'm like, well, I don't think that's possible. I think it's not possible because we've not ever thought about it before. But I bet there might be some really smart, creative people who could come up with some ways of quantifying. Because, and the staff know this. What's that? Yes, there's this filmmaker here that just joined our church. But, but, but I, you know, I, I'm not a believer. Our staff know this because of some things we try to do. I'm not a believer in, like, programs just going, yep, we're doing well. No, there's got to be signs of success. There's got to be goals that are quantifiable that we can, we can pursue. And I think there could be some really interesting ways. And someone says, how are things going at Covenant? If we said, it's amazing. And we didn't say we had 43 new people, including this really cool documentary filmmaker who joined our church, because that's our metric we go to for health. But we said, it's amazing because 80 different refugee families in the last two years are living in a different situation because we're here. What if we changed our mindset so much that when someone said, how's your church doing, we answered with an external metric before starting with an internal metric. That, to me, is a missional approach to church. Now, I don't know how you do all of that. I don't have the answers to this. But wouldn't it be cool to ask those questions? Let's check with Mayor Adler and say, well, how could we do this? How could we, how could we do it? All right. Folks, there'll be more that you'll hear about this. I do want you to know, um, just because we care about you and want to make sure that you have everything fully available, in case you have not received your pledge card yet for the Opening Doors Capital campaign, we happen to have extra ones on the desk when you leave here today in the lobby. We really do believe, and this is a chance where every dollar is doubled, we do believe that this is a significant and right time to enter into this and that the effects and the ripple effects will be tremendous. So thank you.
Thank you for your work on this. Thank you for your support of it. And thank you for being as excited as I sense many people are about stepping into a pretty amazing new season here at Covenant. So let's close by praying together. Jesus, we ask that you would be with us tonight and as we go forward from this place. We ask that you would help us to ask the question of what does it mean to wake up tomorrow like Ludmila, asking how we can be a representative of the kingdom of heaven, of your gospel of grace and reconciliation and peace and justice. We ask, Lord, that you would lead and guide this campaign, that you would lead and guide our efforts as we engage in this missional conversation. Fill us as a congregation with wisdom, the wisdom to know how to step forward into this new day, and fill us with courage, the courage to follow wherever it is that we sense you going. And Lord, as we go down this journey, we will give you all the glory. And it is in the holy and precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you all very much for making the time and being here tonight.